episode 32. We're here. We got a great guest today. It's going to be a fantastic one. I do have to make a quick apology to everybody because we don't have Robbie on the show today. And he is rightfully the fan favorite. Uh, Potty Train Me focuses heavily on sports, as you all know. But we're going to pivot a little bit today because the guest is someone who's done a little bit of everything and has most recently been all in on the stand-up comedy quest. He is one of my favorite storytellers, full of talent, truly genuine human being. And I believe he was the first new friend I made in Santa Barbara following a college-disrupted pandemic. So it is Chris Williams, and thank you as always for your time. Man, thank you for having me. That was, that was a hell of an introduction, so I will live up to that. Um, but yeah, I feel the same way about you, man. I was like, damn, I'm glad I met Greg. Like, the pandemic was crazy, so I'm glad to be here. This is exciting, and uh, sorry, Robbie. He is in the minority of people who favor me over to Robbie right now, so I, I got to take every little bit I can get. Yeah. And that's just what we're going to do. I play favorites. So I play favorites. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So there's so much we could talk about, but I guess I just want to start with the comedy. We'll just get right into it. Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, I've had people tell me that I'm funny before yeah. and even you a couple are. who say I could pull off stand up comedy and I completely disagree with them because <laughs> like, okay, it's one thing to be funny in a social situation where you yeah. could like run with an inside joke or make quick witted remarks, but it's another to just go up on stage and look at a bunch of strangers and just be like, I'm going to make you laugh. Yeah. yeah. That is very hard. When did you first realize that was something you were capable of doing? Oh, uh, uh, yeah. So this is, this is like that age old question is a great question. Um, I guess when I look back, I realized that I could make people laugh when I was really young. Like, uh, I was, I was young and that was just always my thing. Um, but like you, I just thought I could make people laugh in social situations and I didn't understand like the next step and how to do it. So, uh, that, that was it. But I, I've always loved entertaining. I loved all this stuff and humor has just always been like my favorite, I don't know, subject of entertainment. I don't even know how to say it, but yeah, there's that. Okay, so precursor to this next question, how old were you when you officially did your first set? Officially, my first ever stand-up set was probably like seven years ago. Okay. Uh, I, I, I wanted to be a stand-up comic forever. Uh, that was like, I always wanted to do it, but I was so scared to do it. And it was one of those things where I, it's weird, like you can be the funniest person in the world, but if you don't go on stage and you don't ever try it, then you, it doesn't matter. Right. It's like how people in the NBA say like, like Kevin Durant will say like, I know somebody who's better than me, but they just could never make it to the pros. They didn't put in the hard work, like that kind of thing. But so I took this stand up comedy class in LA and it was a six week stand up comedy class. And the first five weeks we just wrote jokes and went up and talked in this little like rehearsal space. And then on the sixth week, we were going to do the showcase at the Hollywood Improv. So we went up at the Hollywood Improv. We invited all of our friends and family and they came and they watched us. And uh, I went up there and everybody laughed and I had a great time. All my friends and family were there. And I had like a like a debrief with the instructor. And he was like, yeah, you didn't do stand-up comedy. Like, that's not stand-up comedy. So you, you, I, don't, I don't know what to tell you. And so that like crushed me. So I didn't do it again for... Uh, until last year 
Wow. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. that's very interesting. I didn't know that actually, yeah. because one thing I was curious about is when I've done broadcasts for sports, mm-hmm. like that first time is pretty much going to be the worst and least natural one. Yeah. And then I just go and build from there. Yeah. So what I was originally going to ask you is, would you say the same about doing your first ever set? But it sounds like that was a really unique experience. It was weird. Uh, like looking back. Okay. And I tell people this and I, and this is kind of a, a weird thing to say, but if you have to take a class in stand-up comedy, then you're not, a, you're not a stand-up comic. Like, it, and I know that's strange because I did it, but I did it because I just was so scared to do it. And I wanted to be in a supportive atmosphere and blah, blah, blah. But it's one of those things where I'm thinking I'm going to learn a lot. And I learned nothing from that class, like learn nothing. In fact, everything that I thought I knew or sort of the, the things that are innate in me and what I've learned and, and just, you know, how sort of comedic timing works was destroyed by that class because he was trying to get everybody to fit this like formula and comedy doesn't work that way. There is a formula to comedy, but not everybody fits into that same thing. Uh, so yeah, it, it was, yeah, don't, don't take a stand-up comedy class. Either just go up in an open mic or don't. It's really, <laughs> that's all there is to it, but. Yeah, so what would you say the greatest teacher is then? Would it just be doing it's, it in practice? Yeah, okay. yeah. It's a, you just have to learn. Um, you, you, you just have to learn. I spend so much time writing and watching other comics and just, just studying the craft. I mean, just being around stand-up comics or going to watch shows and things like that. If, if you're, if you have like the ability to sort of replicate i would say or even just learn from watching and you can the critical thinking skills to pick stuff apart then you can kind of understand what's happening um but yeah okay yeah well i like that so little interesting journey so far Mm -hmm. uh i want to hear a little more about the process of writing jokes because i'm not sure how many people understand how much time and effort it really takes i remember you telling me that one minute of good clean stand-up probably takes about a month to create so what's the process like yeah uh that's a great question i was just explaining that here at Rockfire on monday uh where we we do the open mics at ucsb but so all stand-up jokes start with a premise you know maybe it's something that happens in your day or something that's happening in your life and you have this idea which serves as like the framework for the joke so now you're going to make a joke out of this right and so uh, it could be whatever. For I, I write jokes about my dog. I've written serious jokes about, which is weird, but about like adoption and all these different things. Um, but you come up with a premise, and if you go through my phone or you look at my desk or anywhere, there's just these words and ideas written and circled and all these stuff. I have like a writing journal, and then from there you write, like you kind of write the story of what happened. So, um, I. Something happened to me is when I when I moved here from Los Angeles, uh, I, like in LA, I would just take my dog out and we'd have a good time and it was you know it was great. But then when I moved here, I started taking my dog to these dog parks and like the questions and the way that people would approach me and talk to me about my dog, it like it changed. Like it, it was like the responsibility of my dog changed. So I used to say like in LA, I'm just like a dog dad, and here I'm like a canine father. It's just like this elevated thing. And that came from an experience where this guy really asked me, what kind of dog parent am I? And I was like, I don't, like, is that a thing? Like, I I didn't know that was a thing. It was the craziest <laughs> question somebody's asked me. I was like, what? Uh, and 
so I just started writing about it and it took me that joke is not finished and it I mean I've been working on that joke for like six months but you write you write you write you write and you tweak you tweak you tweak and then you go to an open mic or wherever and then you you tell your joke and then you record it I like to video I like to you know do a video recording and an audio recording and you listen or you watch and you see okay did the audience laugh here was that word funny is there another word is it pacing is something like that so then you go back and then you write 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 more and you tweak it and you tweak it and it's just that process and i don't really think a joke is ever like finished because you always want to i could do this better or i could do that you know because it's fluid it's, it's fluid. like science it is and that's yeah yeah Wow. Yeah. I can't believe the dog joke's not finished because the first time I ever <laughs> saw you, I thought that was the most underrated part of the whole thing. Like a lot of it was good, but the really funny parts people did laugh at. Meanwhile, yeah. like the dog part came along and you just like given the weirdest face about being like, Oh, are you like an authoritarian dis- yeah, yeah, disciplinarian? Yeah, you were, yeah, that's yeah. And I'm just like yeah. cracking up and everyone's looking around just like, yeah, whatever. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's great. Yeah, no, it's it's a weird thing. Cause it, it I mean, my dog is so hyper and um and he's just not it he he is me. Like we really are very similar, but he's so difficult uh for me. And I get a lot of insecurities. Um I have a lot of insecurities from I feel like I'm not a good dog dad and like all this stuff. So that's where that, that joke comes from. Um, but the problem is when I tell that joke, comedy is all about bringing you. People want to know about you. So if I say a joke about my dog and it's more about my dog and it's not through my eyes, then it sounds like I'm making fun of my dog and people don't like that. So I have to make fun of me. I have to make fun of my dog through me, which is like why I tell the joke about the parent. So it's a, it's a weird science. I could talk about it way too long, but yeah. I like that. Yeah. So actually, I didn't even prepare this question, yeah. but it just came along as we're having this conversation because a lot of my job is knowing how to read the room. You know, when yeah. can you go up and approach people? When is it a good time to bother someone? Just all these different things. Yeah. Just constant learning. Do you feel like there's the same sense of reading the room when you're in front of an audience? Like if people aren't, vibing with jokes about race or sex yeah. or you know whatever kind of topics do you just say fuck it and run with it mm-hmm. or do you kind of adapt as you're up on stage that's a that's an interesting question and there's sort of there's two thoughts to this there are people who say just do your material no matter what and then there are people who say like if you're doing your material and it's not working go to something else uh you have to know how to read the room as far as i'm concerned you have to know how to read the room i have a few jokes that i called testers so and sometimes it's not a joke maybe it's just a word that i use and i can kind of switch a word out so maybe if i'm in an audience that seems older uh i will say um like i have a line i have a line about losing my virginity and i'll say like but that's not a lose your virginity like that's not a lose your virginity song but if i'm in a younger room i'll say like that's not a fuck song and so if i'm in an older room and i can't tell i'll say that's not a fuck song and then maybe they won't laugh because of the word fuck so then i'm like okay let's try something else so you want to see, because you don't want to make people uncomfortable to the part where they're like cringing, but you still want to do your jokes that you've written. And especially at my, you know, just sort of starting out, I want as many people to see me as, you know, that I can have. But yeah. Yeah. Well, I like that. I like where you stand on that side of the argument, because I do think reading the room just 
not just up in comedy or in sports journalism, just in life. Yeah. It's a really important skill. It is. But you did talk about the importance of being you and people want to know about you and yep. you want to let you shine. Yeah. So you can't want just like, you can't completely pivot away from that. Right. But I like that you kind of have these little testers. So it's just an easy way to gauge things early on. Yeah. And it's not completely going to scrap up the whole blueprint, but maybe it's going to get you a few more laughs and kind of just increase the yeah. the good feels of the room exactly yeah and also just like i said one of the most important things i think a lot of stand-up comics who are just starting out don't understand is you have to write jokes about yourself like you when you go on stage we are watching like when, when i'm on stage people are watching me so i can't tell jokes about you because one it's not my story to tell but two it's not authentic to me and then three it sounds like i'm being a bully so if you can tell a good joke about yourself to get the audience invested in who you are, make them laugh at you a little bit, then they'll be on your side and they'll rock with you. Uh, but if you just come up there and just start like shitting on people, then that's not really, that's, you're just being a bully. If the focus is you, do you feel like certain types of self-deprecating humor are just a little bit overused and beat to the ground? Yeah. Uh, you know, I have, uh, yeah, there are definitely some times where I feel like we revert to, or some people revert to like easy, you know, low hanging fruit kind of jokes. Um, one of the things that really bothers me, especially with uh, female stand-up comics, is when they revert to sexuality and making fun of just like how sexual they are or like, you know, making jokes about them being a hoe. Like, it's one thing to do it in a way that is empowering and owning your sexuality and those things. But I think it's another thing to just like make people laugh at the fact that you like to have a lot of sex. And then it just, it feels, it, I don't think it helps anything. I don't think it makes anybody think. You just are portraying yourself as being, you know, a loose woman to go back to 1972 and the way they talk. Like but they're like, almost like objectifying themselves. Yeah, yeah. And, and, the thing about comedy is it has it's a great medium to make people think and that's something that like it it, it bothers me but um men do it too i mean men talk about like their dicks all the time and it's just so annoying uh because it's it's easy and also like who cares yeah it's like I, and then there are ways to tell a joke that are funny that will make you think but if it's just like a joke i don't know it's just like come on man. but yeah but I'm glad you bring that up because, yeah. like, we do want to be very clear that it goes both ways. It's Absolutely. not just a female comics no. issue, but yeah, no, that was a good example yeah. of one of the more common yeah. ones. But yeah, male comics just constantly talking about their dick, yeah. and it's like, okay, I don't care. Yeah, and and the reason I, I bring up the female comics thing is there are a lot of men who say that women are not funny, which I just don't understand. And this this has been a thing. And there are a lot of men who say like women shouldn't curse, they shouldn't talk about certain things but then men can go up there and tell really dumb jokes about their dicks and like that's just not fair and it it doesn't do anything and so we're in this great space in comedy where women are owning everything they're owning their sexuality they're owning everything about their bodies they're putting it out there they're making men uncomfortable which i think is wonderful uh and so when you have women pushing the boundaries like the whitney cummings and um oh my god i could think of so many people and now, of course, I can't. Even like Wanda Sykes makes jokes about stuff like that. Um, people like Sarah Silverman, who've been doing these jokes for a long time. Those people are really, in a way, a pioneer of, of pushing that boundary for women. And so it kind of upsets me when women go up there and sort of undermine the efforts 
uh, that they've done because they have an opportunity to do something dope and to make men think in a way that they haven't. So yeah, that's why I bring that up. What are your thoughts on Amy Schumer? Because I've watched that's some of her one. stuff, but yeah. not a ton. And one of the common criticisms is she just talks too much about her vagina. Yeah. I mean, it, that it it's funny because yeah that's one of these things it's like oh she's always talking about her vagina i i think amy schumer is so funny and i think we overlook the fact that amy schumer is willing to talk about things that are so personal in a way that like women have not done for a long time you know she had that joke about seeing bradley cooper in her underwear look like she sneezed in it i'm sorry like that may be a gross image but that's funny and that's something that women can relate to that men can't and i know a lot of men who are like dude that's gross but like she put herself out there and still does and talks about things that makes her uncomfortable um to thousands of people and i think that that's you know she deserves her credit i mean putting yourself out there in yeah. general yeah. is yeah really difficult to do i don't even care like this podcast, or maybe like eight people are going to yeah. listen to an episode, or maybe eight hundred will. Right. But the bottom line is, either way, yeah. you're like open to criticism. I'm probably going to listen back to parts of this as I do with some other episodes yep. and be like, "Dude, this sucks." Yeah, that's cringe. only because of me, not because of you. No, that's what, <laughs> look, there are going to be parts that I suck at too, and that's yeah, and that's part of it. But but that's the first step with anything is putting yourself out there. Yeah, hundred percent. So, what's it like being part of? a comedy network as you've yeah. done Santa within the last year. Yeah. You've done Santa Barbara, LA, obviously LA, there's huge city with mm -hmm. so many different clubs, opportunities, big names, big faces, all that. Um, I mean, I just feel like there's gotta be so many different types of personalities off stage. Like, yeah. not that people are inauthentic, but you also, they're presenting the comedy version of themselves as opposed to the everyday life version of themselves. Yeah. There, there's this, yeah, first of all, being around, uh, being in a room of comics is for me one of the best things in the world. It was like, I, I remember around Christmas, uh, a friend of mine, she, they do these like YouTube videos, La Lusa uh, Productions. They do these YouTube videos and she's so funny. And she invited a bunch of us to her house for the screening of their new like YouTube um, drop. And it was like a Christmas party as well. And I was in a room full of comedians. And at any given moment, I was like dying of laughter. In fact, at one point I was crying so hard. It was just like, I was laughing so hard. I'm crying and having a good time. And I remember thinking like, this is the feeling that I've wanted to be around like my whole life. People who understand you, people who understand the pain that you're writing from and even like what you're trying to do and how obnoxious it can be uh, and the support. But at the same time, there are a lot of people in comedy who are so worried about themselves that it gets cutthroat. And they are fake. And I think that's with any business. Um, but I feel like those people don't last very long because I, I truly think that comedy is one of the only art forms where the best rise to the top and the worst just don't make it. Like you, at the end of the day, humor is so subjective. And so obviously you have your niche audiences or whatever it is, but I think the funniest people really do make it to the top and in, in, in whatever audience they have uh, and everybody else doesn't. And one of the only ways that you can be funny is to be authentic. And so, uh, yeah, that, that's a, it, 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 it is weird. I mean, I'm thinking about some comics right now who are so fake and I'm not gonna mention them by name, but they're out there. <laughs> they're out there. But Hey, I mean, it even goes back to just a few minutes ago talking about Amy Schumer yeah. and what you really respected yeah. about her, which is getting so personal and real 
and authentic that yeah. whether you think a joke is funny or not, people have to respect it on some level, yeah. the type of thing that she's able to do. And people don't really like different. I mean, that's... No, they don't. Yeah. They don't. They want the same, not the same, but they, they, they like safety. We all like safety, but to push boundaries like she's done and done it commercially, I think is... I mean, there are a lot of people out there who who should just see her and just say thank you. Um, but yeah, it's a it's an interesting thing, man. There's there's also this thing in comedy where people compete against each other, and you don't need to do that. Like the way I look at it is, uh, I'm funny in my way, you're funny in your way, and there's room for all of us. In fact, if we wanted to make a show, I wouldn't put five people like me on the show. I would put somebody like me, somebody like you, somebody like Lauren. You know what I mean? It's like that. So it gets so cutthroat and, and it just, uh, it's strange. I just appreciate every people who are funny and people who are nice and genuine. Like, I just love the craft. So that's, you know, that's where I come from. But yeah, yeah. no, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I mean, easier said than done not to get yeah. competitive. I work in yeah. sports where competitions yeah. all yeah. around, but of course. Yeah. But I agree with you. Um, well, okay. I got to ask this next question because yeah. I read some of sick in the head, mm-hmm. which is a book where Judd Apatow interviews a bunch of famous comedians and about life, their careers, how they got started with their journey, mm-hmm. etc. One thing I found really interesting about the introduction to all of that is he kept mentioning how his interest in comedy came from a rather dark place. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that's not the case with all people, mm-hmm. but I want to hear about it with you. Where yeah. does your comedic gene originate from yeah uh that's a great question so i actually i mean years ago i read this thing and i wish i could quote it and i knew where it was from but i read this thing where they talked about uh, being funny is a survival skill it is like you know back in the day some people were hunter gatherers some people did this some people just entertained and by being an entertainer the hunter gatherers would give you things right like you you had a worth you had a place there was a, a place for you in society um and that's kind of a dark thought but that's where it comes from for me so um i'm i'm adopted and uh my whole life i always felt this need to uh, impress people. Like I always felt like I had to like prove myself and, and just sort of these feelings of inferiority. And that's where the humor started was like, well, if I can make people laugh, then they'll want me to be around. And it wasn't until maybe like two or three years ago, uh, working with my therapist that I realized that although my adoption was amazing, and I really say that I couldn't ask for anything more, that there's still this issue is in the back of my mind where it's like some, at some point somebody gave me up. And my birth mom was 15 when she had me. So what a great scenario for me. I've had a lovely life, so I'm not mad at her, but just it's hard to to knock that. So I think humor became my way of like flexing and um, making people want me around and feeling like, yeah, they'd want to keep me around. And that's like the dark side of it. Uh, And then from that also, I'm half black, half white. And I grew up in a black family. I was adopted into a black family. And so I've in in an affluent black family. So I went to school in really like rich white places. And I uh, went to like church in like a very poor black neighborhood. And I never felt like I fit in. Mm-hmm. I was always playing the duality and code switching and doing those things. So a lot of my comedy comes from that place as well. It's just trying to figure out who who I am. And that's why I talk about a lot of that in, in my comedy. But that's where it comes from. And it's like. 
I'm right now. I just started writing a, a joke about adoption, and it's uh, it's dark so far. There's this, we're we're gonna find something, but it's dark. But yeah, yeah. Well, I'm that's super interesting. In fact, I'm learning a lot of what you just said for yeah. the first time as well. So okay, yeah, so yeah, really, uh, just fascinating to hear about all of that. And I will say that it's cool to get that insight on uh, your experiences with like being part like in the black community part in the white community because i found that you do pull it off really well talking about being black versus white on stage and obviously have great bits about that but that's another area where i feel like it could be so overused just talking about race Mm -hmm. but in your case it hasn't been and that's not even i hadn't even known a lot of your history yeah Yeah. while having those thoughts so yeah uh, it's it's a it's a weird thing because there are right we talk about black white all the time like this is this is a huge thing in comedy because of how uncomfortable it makes everybody in in all the things that have happened in the history of the world but uh i mean i see it you know i used to say i'm like i'm a secret agent because like i i'm like i have like a black soul but like people look at me and they're like oh yeah he's, he's white enough like so i get to go places that maybe other people who are black can't go and i say like i get to report back so i get to kind of like like seamlessly move. Um, and I don't think people actually gave a damn about me being black or white. Uh, and I think it was just all of my own insecurities. And so it, this is all, it's all me. Like that's, that's what it is. It's me projecting all this stuff on the world, but that's why I talk about it. I mean, it's totally valid though. Yeah. And not that it became clear in 2020 alone and yeah. they're all along, yeah. but I think at least in 2020, when you had pandemic followed by, all of the protests right. and all the right. really nationally public murders that were coming out, it started to register a little bit more with people, especially those who maybe didn't, like, they weren't around diversity as right. much. And I think it was like, oh, no, it really is different. Like, the color of your skin or your biological sex or your gender yeah. or your sexual identity or your religion, like, there is a very concrete, tangible yeah. difference with how people are treated. So yep. to feel those concerns is totally valid, yeah. even if you were still uh, on the outside accepted in a lot of those situations. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's been interesting. It's been interesting. But. Well, I want to talk about Village Media because mm-hmm. I know that's one of your newer projects. And yeah. uh, I mean, yeah. look, this is your time to just yeah. let it rip and promote it and uh, what you hope to see in the near future. <laughs> Yeah, so, um, you know, from working at the radio station KCSB, I, I just, I, I've always loved storytelling. Um, and so I wanted to start some sort of like podcasting or company, of, a production company, because I really love all entertainment in general. So I started with uh, We The Village Media and um, <laughs> rushed to get that going and working on podcasts and stuff like that. And we haven't even launched anything yet from there uh, because in the last couple months, I realized that through my standup and being here in Santa Barbara, that there was like a need for like premium standup. And I realized the value and power in standup. So I kind of put We The Village Media, I don't want to say on the side, but We The Village Media is producing something that I'm working on right now, which is called let loose comedy here in Santa Barbara. Um, and it is the goal of it is to be like the premium comedy experience here. Like if you go to LA, you go to like the improv, you go to the comedy store, you go to laugh factory and you get to enjoy like great comedy. 
um, and in a comfortable setting. And so the purpose of Let Loose is to bring that vibe to Santa Barbara, where it's all about the comedy. It's not just like a bar show where you, you know, you pay $20, you sit at the bar, there's people who walk through, they don't want to be there. This is about comedy, putting comedy first, uh, and also bringing some diversity to Santa Barbara. So that's the other thing is highlighting some great um, comics that are, are not just white, and, not, and we do have great white comics, but just using humor as a way to bring diversity to Santa Barbara, um, which I realize is just so needed. I, I have a lot of friends who went to UCSB uh, who are black, and their big thing was like, they didn't necessarily feel not it's not that they didn't feel safe, but they felt you could feel how much of a minority that they are. And when I moved here, I felt that like it, it was it was one of the first times in my life where I was like, oh, wow, there's like none of us. Um, so just like getting some events for people and exchanging culture. So that's been the big push right now. We have our first show on April 27th uh, coming up at the Red Piano. So if you're interested in that, letloosecomedy.com. And uh, yeah, man, that's been, I sank a lot of money into that already. So hopefully that's off. But the goal is, is to end up buying a comedy club here in Santa Barbara. Wow. And yeah. would you want to try to have your own venue and own facility or just yeah. like rent out space from other places? I mean, eventually I, I want to have my own like facility. That's it. Uh, I've really, I know a lot of people, Santa Barbara's not their favorite place to live, but I feel like I've grown up so much here. And being from Los Angeles, this is a really nice breath of fresh air. And I see, like I said, I see a need for it and I see um, a market for it. So that's something that I, I really want to do. And just, you know, this is like the ground floor, but it's a lot. I mean, I fully support it I besides that. supporting just you as yeah, a human no, being. Thank but you. Yeah. I think that people who haven't spent extended time in Santa Barbara, one of the things they might not fully understand is that it is somewhat of a bubble. Like we're an yeah. hour and a half to two hours away from anything that big. I guess mm -hmm. you kind of get like Ventura, Oxnard a little yeah. bit, Thousand Oaks on the way down south. But really it's like LA, two hours away, no. San Luis Obispo, hour and a half yeah. if you're going north. Yeah. So it is somewhat of a bubble. It could be kind of an isolated little area. There's not, you know, in LA, like there's, you can do anything. There's yeah. freaking yeah. everything in everything. that city. But in Santa Barbara, not necessarily the case. Mm -mm. We don't have anything like that. Mm -mm. No. And I guess there used to be something like that. Um, and so I guess I got to look at why that failed. But uh, I just, it's also a destination city. Um, and so it's not far, it's not too far uh, for, away from things. So I, 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 the need is there. And I, I really just want to make my mark on this community the way that Santa Barbara's really made its mark on me as a person. So that's, that was the... That's what this became. And, and I pretty much think about that. I don't want to say 24 seven, but pretty close. Like that's like what occupies my mind right now. So, yeah. Well, I think that's a perfect segue into our next little sector of the episode where yeah. you're kind of talking about yourself coming back to Santa Barbara, mm -hmm. the way in which you want to leave your mark on the community, give back. So you recently just turned 35. 35, yeah. Happy belated birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Um, needless to say, you're definitely older than most people who reside in this square mile known yeah. as Isla Vista. Yes, yes. But from my perspective, you have fit in quite well. Yeah. And I only mean that in the best ways. Yeah, I appreciate that. So first question, just the simple one. What led you to come back to school? Yeah, so, uh, you know, graduated high school in 2005. I went to Cal State Fullerton for like a half a semester, um, maybe a little bit longer than that. Uh, I It just wasn't for me. High school was a struggle. I 
I wasn't happy. Like I just, I wanted to go do other things. I, I'm like, that's me. I'm like, just this, in a way, I'm like this wild child who just needs to go try stuff. Uh, and so it was a long road, but after working in the entertainment business, doing tours and concerts and musicals and all that stuff in, from a, a technical standpoint, uh, I, I knew I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to be on the road anymore. I didn't want to travel that much um, doing that. It was also kind of like, it was also in a way like a tease because I was like working backstage and watching people perform, but I was so close to it. Yeah, that's where I want to be. So I was like so close that it made it just so difficult and I was, I was not happy. But so I, I stopped doing that and I just need to find something. So I started working in restaurants and I liked restaurants because I like communicating with people. I like, you know, just like we're doing now, having conversations with people, but I could care less about how these, like the money that a restaurant brought in all stuff so as I, I was like the general manager of restaurants and not caring about like that and it was it, whatever uh, and one day i was staying at the bar at this restaurant with one of my servers and this woman had like a full-on karen fit before karen's were a thing <laughs> and uh, i mean she was just like she was going crazy over some meatballs i was like lady what uh and i'll never forget i'll stand next to tony and we're looking into a mirror at each other. So Tony's next to me and we're looking into a mirror and we lock eyes and he's got like dead eyes. And he says to me, man, there's gotta be something more in this world. And I just went directly to the back and registered for community college. Cause I was like, if, if anything, community college would just open up my world and possibilities. Uh, and, and I can just learn different things, you know, cause you go to school and you have access to different things. So that's what it was. And that was, it'll be six years when I graduate in June. It'll be a six-year journey. And then, wow. yeah, and then coming here to, to UCSB in 2020 in the middle of a pandemic. So. That might be the only time I've ever heard something good coming out of a Karen situation. Man. Minus a funny story. Dude, that, that lady was having a full-on meltdown. And the look in Tony's eyes, man, I, it's, it's like it's a core memory. I will never forget it. I can't draw, but I feel like I could draw that perfectly. Like it was just dismal. I was like, nah, it's enough. Enough's enough. Well, I take it this was in L.A. It was in L.A. Eh, Sherman to Oaks. To be expected. Yeah. Yep. In fact, quick side note yep. is uh, at the end of spring break, I was stopping at my sister's place in L.A. Yep. The next morning, stopped to get some coffee on the way home. Didn't sleep well yep. on like a little air mattress. No, matter of fact, I slept on the floor on top of a sleeping bag. <laughs> and so I'm like, all right, I got to have some caffeine if I'm right. going to make this six-hour journey. And I walk into the place. And there's this lady who, you know, ends up throwing a full on Karen fit. And at one point just goes, well, I could just take my money and go to fucking Starbucks. And yeah. I'm thinking like, what's, what's wrong with Starbucks? Yeah, yeah, right. Like, I mean, yeah, I like Starbucks. Yeah, it works for me. <laughs> and to top it all off, she just finally gets the manager and she's like, you make my drink. And then she ends up just taking a drink off the counter because they were having some kind of backup. And then just walking out and the manager just helplessly is like, that's not your drink. Yeah, but. it's it it was, uh, you know, what's crazy is like, I actually really like the service industry. Um, there's something really fun about it, but people are like, people can just be awful. Yeah. And I, and I thank that lady because it got me here. So whoever you are, lady, if I ever meet you, you crazy ass woman, thank you. 100%. Yeah. But, so... Yeah. I mean, you come to UCSB. Yeah. Not only are you looking to blend in with a younger age group. Yeah. We also have an entire pandemic that just disrupted a good chunk mm -hmm. of the college experience as if it wasn't already going to be challenging mm -hmm. enough. Mm -hmm. 
So what were the difficult aspects for you personally of remote learning? Uh, so I took a few, I think I took like two online classes before the pandemic, right? And uh, one of the things about me is I lack structure. So I am such a free soul. It's like I have ADD, like nobody's business. So it's like in the middle of something, I just start doing something else and boom, boom, boom. So on the online classes always sucked for me because there was no accountability. I needed to physically go someplace and sit in the class and immerse myself in it. And also like during this time, before moving here, I was working like 60 hours a week and going to school part-time. So those 60 hours a week that I was working were pretty miserable. So when I was in school, that was my time to sort of be happy and learn and feel enriched. So when I was just doing online school, I just didn't feel like I was getting that uh, experience. So I moved here, I know nobody. I don't know anybody here. Um, do it at 35, in the middle of Isla Vista. I live alone with my dog, thankfully, so it's just that. Uh, and it was hard. It was hard because the only way to be social at the time is to like do these like Zoom programs with people and like I didn't want to be on Zoom anymore. So as soon as I could, I just started going places. Like as soon as, like I remember the city opened up for like two weeks. I was just like going to bars, like going out, like meeting, just trying to meet people any way I could. Um, and thankfully I did and set up a community, but it was, it was a, uh, it was a strange transition. It was a strange transition, but met one of my best friends in, in a zoom class. So that made me happy. Okay. So a little something out of yeah, it, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I'm someone who already had somewhat of a foundation before yeah. the pandemic happened. And I always felt like if I have to, I can kind of lock down and focus pretty well. Yeah. And even I'm thinking like, I have no social life mm -hmm. and I am just jittery all day. Yep. It was like the first time I ever thought about drug addiction in my life. And it's not like I was doing drugs, right. but just You're like, just like oh. even like starting to drink caffeine more, just like, or just start chewing gum. Just yeah. like I needed something yeah. just to like, get me to like focus and get up to like do online school. Yep. It was crazy to think about. Yep. So, yep. but I, I will say what made it a little easier for me in class is like, now I was so proud to be here at UCSB and like, you know, I came in with, I think, I think I had a 4.0 when I came in. So it was like, I got to fit in, not fit in, but I'm here. I'm going to, I'm going to keep this 4.0. I'm going to be a great student. I'm going to do all these things. So that drove me for like the first year. Yeah. But it was tough. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, yeah, was, I was very thankful to be done when yeah, I was done. I yeah. was like, that was, that was long. Yeah. Um, I mean, we kind of touched on some of this a little bit, but what have you taken from your very unique time here at UCSP that you're going to carry on with you after graduation? Uh, uh, specific to just like my time here at UCSP? Yeah. Okay. Let me think. Um, honestly, the one thing that I did not expect was, and, and I wanted to do this, but I just didn't, I, I was skeptical that it was going to happen. Uh, and I think part of it was because of the age difference was to meet people like yourself um, who motivate me and who I see who inspire me to do things like, you know, when, when we're in college, I think we spend so much time worrying about our grades and the classes and all this stuff. And like, we sometimes don't, and, and then like 
we're, we're doing all this, we're working so hard. And so then when we get a break from working, we go out and like we party and we do these things. But in between then, there's these moments of like what I call clarity, where you can like kind of pop your head up and look around and see the people who are like doing stuff and making a difference and building themselves as people and well-rounded people. And I think, uh, so I always talk about like the village. That's why it's called We the Village Media was, was understanding my village and the people around me who I will never forget and who, you know, I hope to support and, and see grow uh, for the rest of my life. And I didn't think that I was going to find as many people as I did. I'm very lucky to have met so many people who, who really inspire me on the daily. So I would say that. I like that. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, as we're coming in to the end of the episode, yeah. something we do here on Potty Train Me to end every episode. Now, we don't have Robbie today. He always picks the weirdest things. But it's shout out to you can shout out anything and everything you like could be totally related to everything we've been talking about. Yeah. Could be totally random. I mean, Robbie's dropped melatonin scented candles, uh, a bunch of other things okay. I can't even remember off okay. the top of my head right now. But I'll give you a little bit of time to think about it. Mm -hmm. I'll go first. Uh, shout out to Don Staley for becoming the first black coach yes. in D1 history yes. to win multiple national championships. Um, congratulations to her and University of South Carolina on a dominant March Madness run. I wish that Hubert Davis was able to get it done for yep. North Carolina, but that was a great game. And then, I mean, just kind of an obvious one, but I got to say shout out to all the other students we worked with at KCSB this year because yeah. it is a really diverse group with so much talent. And even though a lot of my work with sports was separate from all the other departments, I just really enjoyed being able to see and talk to everybody else. There was nothing quite like the old office hours in the newsroom. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a good spot. Um, all right, what am I going to shout out? First thing I'm going to shout out is I'm going to shout out Bix Mechanical Pencils. Uh, the, like They have like these, they come in these like packs. They have these gray grips. Um, I, not the ones you can see through, but anytime I write in pencil, I use one of those. I've used a mechanical pencil for six years. And I was thinking about that yesterday. I was like, man, I probably going to retire this mechanical, like using mechanical pencils. Really strange thing. Um I want to shout out, I can shout out people too. Oh, you can do whatever you like. Okay. All right. Uh, I'm going to shout out, I got some people to shout out then who, who are really uh, just weird. So this lady, uh, Sue Scaduto. Uh, so last year, so I, it'll on May 6th is when I did my first open mic here in Santa Barbara. So like what I call like when I really started doing comedy, but I went to this open mic and I made up my mind in the morning that I was going to go and I was going to tell jokes. And I wrote all these jokes down and uh, I got there and I got so nervous. And I started drinking all these beers and I was pretty drunk. Um, and this lady realized that I kind of, she was hosting this event. She realized I kind of was wanted to go up and she was like, do you want to go up? And I was like, no. She's like, are you sure? I was like, no. And then she, then she ended up just calling my name and I went up there. And on the way up, she's like, you have seven minutes. In seven minutes to be on stage with very little jokes is a long time to be mm -hmm. up there. And I was like, I think I have three minutes of jokes. She let me talk for 14 minutes. And I have the recording of that. And people laughed all the way through. And if it were not for Sue, if it was not for Sue pushing me to go up there, I, I don't know if I would have ever gone up there. So I want to shout her out. And I, I don't think, I mean, we've bumped heads sometimes lately, but I have to shout her out. Um, 
man, I, you, this is this. Is, I, can we give a shout out to Costco's rotisserie chicken? Because I've lived <laughs> off of that. No, I live off of that. Um, Pretty sure Costco's gotten a shout out on here before. I'm sure. I mean, it's the little things. It really is. Like Costco, you got me. That's all I'd say. Um, I also really want to shout out Gerard Carmichael, who's a stand-up comedian, who a lot of people I think are learning about now, but he's had the Carmichael show, Black. In his new stand-up, he just came out as gay. And um, he has an incredible way of slowing a joke down and making it really serious. And when I think about my comedy influences, it was, it was I, I didn't even really watch a lot of his stuff until maybe like five months ago. But his ability to slow things down, control the crowd, to take things seriously, to live in silence uh, is, is incredible. And he doesn't get the credit he deserves. So I want to shout him out because he's influenced a lot of my new writing. Um, and, uh, I guess I'll shout out my dog cause I talked a lot of shit about him, but I love him. No, this is a all Dante <laughs> podcast. Yeah. This is the Dante yeah, podcast. Yeah, this is, yeah, exactly. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Well, I mean, wow. Time flies when you're having yeah, fun, man. We hit, we just did 45 minutes that was of easy. money. Yeah. Uh, thank you as always. You always so, make it just super easy. I appreciate that. I feel like thank after you. we, uh, called a soccer game together, it just, uh, Everything's been cake from there. It has been, man. And wait, but we got to give you some credit too, because I, I don't know if anybody's like giving you the credit you deserve, but you went off in KCSB and the sports program and you like, we would just not see you until meetings, but then we would see everything you guys are doing and you just made it your own and you took, you just took like full ownership of it. And uh, I think that's hard to do. And and you did it and you shaped something that I think is going to really lasts a long time so give yourself credit for that and you've done that obviously with everything you do so you know rest in peace greg is the sports director but, <laughs> uh, it's okay uh all good things must come to an end that's true that's true that's what's gonna happen i feel like i'm getting ready to get evicted and laid off from my job when i graduate oh my goodness i know i don't even want to think about it's, it's a strange, eight weeks down the line from now it's but a strange thing we're just gonna live in the moment. Hey, yeah. we're still in IV, so we can still do a little bit of work hard, play hard. I know. Maybe with just a little glimpse of that clarity you were yeah, talking about. I, I think I need to do a little more playing hard. I don't. I yeah. I couldn't do Deltopia though, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I don't know. That was. Uh, I'm just glad it was cloudy out there because that just would have been more dehydration. Oh my god! It was like watching the the zombies from the thriller video after a certain time. I was like, oh no! Like it was. Oof, first never, time in three years there's been like real spring in santa barbara yeah yeah i mean you knew people were going big no matter what man oh my goodness yeah. well thank you again thank as you. always go check out we the village media yeah instagram for sure you can do instagram you can check me out uh my instagram is uh crw speaks uh we also have let loose comedy uh sb on instagram or you can go to my website which is cwilliamscomedy.com so I want you to rewind, to hit that 15 second thing on okay. Apple and Spotify, yep. write it down again, mm-hmm. go check it out and uh, keep an eye on this guy because next year hosting the Oscars, it might be Chris Williams yeah. getting his face slapped. Yeah, it might be. I'll take that at this point. Oh yeah. I mean, who wouldn't? But I'm suing. So. Oh my God. Well, you know, as I sign off, last thing I'm going to say, mm-hmm. keep my wife's name <laughs> out your fucking Done. mouth. Done. I won't do it.